0: danger high voltage danger high voltage if you are tuning in to listen to our podcast on the devil all the time please be forewarned there are many copious spoilers for both the book and the movie so turn back while you can Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Vasca. Today, I am joined by Kern Wheeling of the website Cinema Etc., a spot for critical film essays and reviews. He is here to discuss with me the new Netflix film, The Devil All the Time, directed by Antonio Campos and co-written with his brother, Paulo Campos, based on the 2011 novel of the same name by Donald Ray Pollock. Welcome, Kern. I'm so glad to have you on.
1: I really appreciate you having me, Ariel. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And I'm really excited to discuss this film because, honestly, I've read all the reviews from, like, the New York Times to the New York Post, and some people get some things about the film right, but for the most part, I haven't read a review that really considered everything beyond the surface elements of the movie. Almost everybody... Narrows in on Robert Pattinson's performance. Right. But very few people give it real critical thought. And so I'm really eager to kind of talk about this film. What was your kind of first impression? You read the book.
1: I did. Yeah. So I was actually very eager for this movie because I've been a fan of uh, Compass for A while I rented um, After School on a whim because I thought the cover looked cool a long time ago. (laughs) And it turned out to be like a very influenced by Mikhail Hanukkah, who was like my favorite director at the time. So it was like a perfect pairing. I was like, oh, my God, who is this guy? So I've been following his career for a while. And then I saw he was adapting this book with this insane cast. So I was like, I have to get my hands on this book. And I read it and, you know, I, a lot of people would compare it to Cormac McCarthy. I've only read one of his novels. I know it's blasphemy. <laughs> I should <laughs> be reading more, but I, I definitely see that comparison. And I I love the novel. I like instantly fell in love. It's one of the best books I've read in a while, which doesn't say a whole lot. I'm not a huge reader, but it, it, it's, it grabbed me and I, I pretty much finished it within a couple of days. Um, I would highly recommend reading the novel. And then, like you said, I saw the, I saw the reviews start to drop and it was, you know, I mean, it made sense. People were talking about how bleak it was and it's just reveling in all this violence and filth and, you know, how how horrific it was. And I was like, wow, it must be pretty, pretty damn faithful (laughs) to the novel. Um, And then, you know, I start to, there's a couple people who kind of, we're on the, on the other side of things like, no, it's, you know, it's got a lot to say and it's really well done and executed. And um, so I, I was really eager to see it. Uh, And then my general impressions are, I mean, of course, you know, the old adage is that the book is always better and that's, you know, pretty much the case across the board. And I would definitely say that it's the case with this, but I wasn't disappointed. And I, and that's, that's pretty much the best thing I, I have to say about it is that, you know, with such high expectations, I didn't find it to be a disappointment. Um, and I, I, I walked away feeling generally satisfied and I, I thought it was very well done, well executed. Um, and I, thought that the cast across the board was pretty good. I have some thoughts about Robert Pattinson <laughs> as well. We'll
0: dive into those. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, I So for me, Pattinson, I mean, to say he was kind of hammy would be putting it mildly. Would you agree?
0: <laughs> oh, Oh, would I agree? Would he, I agree? <laughs>
1: but here's the thing. I know, because like you said, that news ar- article came out and the headline was like, um, you know, it was like he he developed his own, uh, his own accent without letting the director know and brought it on day one and, and no one had any clue. And it does feel completely disconnected from the rest of the movie.
0: It does.
1: But... I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing because here, hear hear me out, hear me out. Okay. So I feel like at that point in the movie, the pacing for most people, at least is about to start to drag because it's gotten the whole prologue out of the way, you know, the almost hour long first act of like, where are characters, you know, what got Tom Holland's character to, to this point. Um, and, and it seems as if it's about to kind of slow down. And then he kind of wakes the movie up with that hammy performance. And I don't think it's totally like out of place necessarily, even though it is a bit, a bit over the top. Um, so I think his character adds kind of a, a flavor that the film doesn't have otherwise. And I do think it's a bit unfair to latch on to only that and have people have been only praising his performance, because I do think there are other performances in here that are praiseworthy. Were there other performances that stuck out for you? Oh,
0: absolutely. Like for me, actually, Bill Skarsgård, I thought was quite impressive. Um, I mean, obviously, everybody knows him for things like Pennywise and Castle Rock, but I thought that he was very intense and understated and very effective in the role as Willard.
1: I I would agree. And I think that role is really tough to pull off because that character has a a turn and he, he goes from, you know, you go from empathizing with him that he's very protective of his son and and you, you you empathize with that towards something way more monstrous, you know, and he really sells that um, yeah. without, you know, making us think that he's portraying the character and he has such little screen time to pull that off. He does, well. but
0: he does so well with it. And, it, yeah. you know, and he really made a very lasting impression with, you know, what little screen time he did have with that one role. Additionally, I think um, one of the other characters that really made a big impression on me was actually Dudley Dursley, Harry Melling. Right. Roy Lafferty, who I thought really, really sold it as the overzealous, uh, well, zealot.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that was, uh, and you know the the headline on that one is that he those spiders that he poured on his face were actual spiders. As yeah, well
0: yeah. And and again, everybody it. focuses on like the the in intensity of pouring sure. actual spiders on oneself and so forth, as opposed to the rest of the performance, which is like, how do you sell someone who is so incredibly deluded that they would stab their beloved wife in the neck with a screwdriver.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And honestly, that I, I thought about that as I watched the movie, because I wasn't sure how that came across compared to the book, because in the book, the chapters jump from character to character and you get a peek into their, into each of their psyche, like, and you really get to see how they tick. And for that character in particular, you see how his brain like he is just totally out of his mind. And he really, you know, for for how horrific that act is, he truly does believe that that is going to work, that 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 Uh there is a spirituality to this act. Um so but, that's that's the thing that I was worried would be lost in it and I didn't necessarily think it was but I was wondering how that played for someone that what that had For me you know, it
0: book. played in his performance. Right. Well knowing from some interviews with Campos as a director that he worked very specifically and individually with each of the actors to try and learn a specific language for working with each of the actors I do believe that he was very careful in getting them to craft their performances in a specific way. So I don't I wouldn't say that it isn't related to Campos's style as a director, but his performance is incredible at selling what you're describing, I think, because yeah. the the whole attempt later when he's looking up at the skies he's about to be shot makes it seem like he's suddenly coming to a more sort of centralizing place psychically
1: right yeah and i and i think that moment works perfectly in the film as well And, and that's, that's good to know that it kind of does come across because I have read reviews from people who are just like, oh, it's all bleakness and you don't really get to see inside these people. You don't get to see where it comes from. And I, I didn't, I didn't gather that from the film, but again, I I've read the book. So I kind of bring that with me when I'm watching the movie. So Uh I wasn't sure how valid you found that criticism that it doesn't, um,
0: yeah, I don't find that a valid criticism. I don't yeah. find that a valid criticism at all because I felt like I was inside the head of at least Willard and Roy at the beginning. I don't feel like I ever really got in the head of Arvin completely, which is kind of ironic given that right. like he's <laughs> the protagonist. Right. Um, I I felt like I was in the head of Lenora. yeah. Pretty much it was those characters who I felt like I was in the head of. And beyond that, everyone was a little less drawn out for me.
1: Yeah, I, I could see that. And and that's another thing from the novel. Like I I I think my biggest thing with the whole like understanding the psyche of this world is that in the novel you it paints a fuller picture of of all the people all the events Uh, even Arvin who I think Tom Tom Holland's great in the movie um, but I do think that that character is kind of not not too developed necessarily it's just kind of like Oh, he's he's the shining light in all yeah. this darkness, you know? Yeah. And I, in a way, I think the movie works on that level without understanding the psychology behind, yeah. you know, Robert Pattinson's preacher or having to, you know, under- empathize with every single
0: character. Exactly. How exactly. they are. And and honestly, it works better if you don't sympathize or yeah, empathize sure. with yeah. Preacher Tea Garden because, uh, boy, I wanted to shoot that guy. Right.
1: Uh, and so another- when Tom
0: Holland does, it's like, oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. Right. And that's another thing that I—that's another criticism that I didn't really understand. People saying that it's so relentlessly bleak. And again, this may be me bringing the experience of reading the novel with me, but the novel is just, it's brutal and unforgiving to the point where Arvin is like, Arvin and, you know, his, uh, his sister are the only two characters that have an ounce of like innocence in this story. Like everyone is just, it's so horrific. It's nonstop. And I actually found that the movie had some moments of levity
0: and it like, did, light
1: grace to it. And I really, I actually really latched on to Haley Bennett's performance yeah. as his mother.
0: I just want to do a quick shout out because Haley Bennett is a terrific actress. And if you haven't seen Car- Carl Mirabella Davis's Swallow, you should check it out now.
1: Yeah, Swallow is Swallow is very good. Her performance in it is spectacular. So. Yeah. And, and she plays in a totally different mode here. Completely. Um, But yeah, she brings so much grace to that performance. And she actually has moments early on, um, that I think are very quiet and like subdued. And so there's a totally different energy in the film. I feel like than in the book, which is is relentlessly bleak Uh and like very violent, um, and so I I was kind of surprised by that, uh, you know, especially coming from critics like audiences. I can understand watching this and being totally turned by yeah. the violence. Yeah. But critics like compared to something like the house that Jack built or something like yeah. that. I just don't know. This is criticism. no,
0: this is not Lars von Trier. OK, <laughs> right. Like, exactly. let's not. Yeah.
1: But by that same token, I wouldn't say that it's like sanitized completely um like the the critic who wrote on on our site on cinema etc his review of the film i somewhat disagree with he because he read the book as well and he felt that it was pretty sanitized and and made you know like a netflix friendly version of the novel but i think that they he, he does a great job of keeping the events of the novel intact pretty much entirely um, but not necessarily depicting it in detail that wouldn't be necessary for film. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that sort of detail works in the novel. I don't think that like being ultra faithful and doing a heavy NC 17, uh, you know, blood soaked version of it would really gain. Yeah. I don't think you would gain anything from that. Um, so I just wanted to be clear that the book is is way heavier and way harder to read, but at the same time, I don't think that they they sanitize the events at all, which is which is something I was worried and you know somewhat worried about.
0: Yeah. Now, while I haven't actually read the book myself by Donald Ray Pollock, um, I I did listen to the Fresh Air interview from when The Devil All the Time actually came out and was first published, and there's a quote from the book that I'd like to read um, that's a very recognizable scene if you've seen the movie, and it reads, unless he had whiskey running through his veins, Willard came to the clearing every morning and evening to talk to God. Arvin didn't know which was worse, the drinking or the praying. As far back as he could remember, it seemed that his father had fought the devil all the time. Now the thing that I really love about this film is that Donald Ray Pollock himself is the narrator of the film and that he gets to be the third person omniscient voice and he does such an incredible job of kind of creating this coherent universe with his with his vocal performance I mean I, I I know okay I'm a podcaster I'm a nerd for like vocal performances what can I say but like seriously it just added so much to it I I felt like in spite of the fact that all of these individual stories were so unique and so different the fact that they were all connected by this narrator within the film was kind of an interesting unifying force. When I compare this to something like Cormac McCarthy's No Country for Old Men, like that was a film where I read the book and I was a huge fan of the book. And when I first saw the film, I was like, oh my God, this is not my book. How, How dare they? How dare the Coen brothers? How dare they? You know, I mean, obviously history has proven me wrong i have proven me wrong but i was going
1: to say did you eventually come around oh of, on that? of
0: course i've come around on that but it's not the book
1: right. the
0: book is brutal in a way that the film never was meant to be um but i feel like in this the fact that there is a narrator provided makes it a very kind of interesting and cohesive world with all of the different characters.
1: I would definitely agree. And I think it's a great move having Pollock do the narration as well. It kind of unifies it and, and puts it into perspective um, because that, that is the, I, I think one of the biggest challenges is that you have so many voices, so many different characters, so many different things going on that it's tough to create a sort of, uh, you know, cohesive narrative to it essentially that's that that was one of the biggest challenges i think he had in adapting the book is is creating a cohesive narrative and i've seen a lot of people um that's a big sticking point with people is that it doesn't have a typical three-act structure there's no necessarily like main character to follow through all of these events Mm -hmm. um there's no real narrative through line guiding you Guiding you through. Um, But, you know, he he keeps the structure of the novel intact and even adds in the narration, which does help paint the picture without being overbearing. You know, it's not it's not constant narration. So. I did think that was um, that was very effective. I was worried. I'll be honest. I was worried at first when I first started hearing narration. I was like, "Oh no, is this going to be constant throughout?" And his his way of getting us inside of each character's heads and but but it's very it's very well utilized, sparsely, um, and, and definitely helps you know unify the entire thing um, as as a work by Donald Gray po- or yeah Donald Gray
0: yeah. And and I found that also um, being able to hear his voice separately on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, hearing him talk about this book and the themes of faith and violence and so forth, it really felt like the the film in essence, in retrospect, then started to feel more like a conversation with the book. Even though I haven't read the book, it still felt that way to me. I sure maybe that's hypocritical of me to even comment on, but (laughs) I don't know.
1: (laughs) No, that's now that's I I can see I can see that point. Um and so I, I really like the movie. Uh my biggest criticism kind of relates to that in that I think it is a very faithful adaptation to the book. And almost to the point that I don't see a lot of uh, compost in the movie itself. I don't see so much of his contributions that I was really eager to, to find in there. I, I think that as far as the direction goes, he's... He's a great director of actors. Um, I thought Rebecca Hall in uh, Christine, Christine yeah. one of my favorite performances yeah. of that decade. Um, and so he gets, he, he does fantastic work with actors and he does that here for sure. But his earlier films, Simon Killer and After School, I think have a very distinct visual style. They're very off-putting. They're unconventionally Mm -hmm. shot and edited and constructed. And there's just a lot of innovation to the filmmaking. And I sadly didn't see much of that at all here. Um, Most of the strengths of the devil all the time come from the, the fantastic source material and that that's the biggest letdown for me. And the thing mm-hmm. that's really holding it back from greatness is that I think the, the best parts about it, the, are, are the things that it brings with it. And it doesn't necessarily add much to distinguish it as uh, its own work really. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's again me having having read the book beforehand. So. Now, the
0: one thing that Campos said that he did add to the script was the character of Leroy Bodecker, making him so primary in the story. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, I, I did see more of him than, than I had anticipated. Um, and I don't know that that was the Nice move. I mean, I like Sebastian Stan as an actor, uh, but I don't know that I necessarily needed more of his history. Like he, and I mean, I can understand why he included more scenes with him in the film, but I think in the book, it does a better job of painting who his character is and almost making him more menacing by like
0: keeping him on the periphery.
1: Exactly. To the yeah. point where the end, um, I, I mean, I don't know if we're doing full spoilers, but it sounds like- Yeah, we're
0: going full spoiler.
1: Right. For the end of the novel, like the whole, for the novel for me read as Arvin, the only character of hope in an entire vast world of darkness. And he's pretty much walking to his doom for the showdown at the end. And I was just like- I I truly don't know what's going to happen because the book is so relentlessly bleak. It could just end with like Arvin dying and bleeding out. And I'm just like, Oh my God. But in the movie, I think it, it, it kind of, there is more hope to it throughout to the mm-hmm. point where I felt like it was almost obvious that it was like, Oh, the hero is going to win at the end. And especially when you have that bad guy painted as kind of, kind of such an idiot as well like he's kind of a loser you know it it removes a lot of that that menace for me
0: yeah although i will say that one of my favorite scenes in the movie is actually him and his sister sandy arguing it it seems like such an innocuous little scene but Mm -hmm. it's You know, after watching her be a part of these killings, watching him be on the take with the mafia, to just have this, you know, scene between a brother and a sister who are both severely, severely screwed up people. Yes. It's just very unusual and refreshing. And I really appreciated that scene, even though it's not one of the ones that would stick out to anyone else. I Right. I it. Right,
1: and I, I that that's the same for me too. And I, I actually, I you know, I, I don't remember offhand, but I, I'm pretty sure there's there's a decent amount of interaction between him and his sister in the novel. I, the thing I don't, the big scene that I didn't remember was the scene with the mafia, and I, I didn't necessarily love that scene in the film or think that it really uh added added it, much it
0: felt like he was trying to go to scorsese with it
1: right like, yeah, with, it was, with the it was
0: moving through the wall and yeah <laughs>
1: yeah it was a strange tonal tonal shift there yeah. um but yeah because in the novel they do i mean they obviously give paint his background but not necessarily to be like no here's a part with him you know being shook down um but yeah, I do think, I found, because most people point to Robert Pattinson as like, oh, he's the best part of the movie, he's the only thing I remember, and, you know, the scenes with him are the best. I latched on to the scenes with, I really liked Haley Bennett and I thought oh, she yeah. was so great. And, and she, she, she really stands out to me. Um, her scenes early in the movie uh, stuck with me, you know, longer than, longer than most most scenes um after i watched it so
0: i yeah i mean for me i would say all the willard charlotte scenes were the ones that stuck in my head after watching for pretty much the entire time since i've and
1: you almost want more of them but i actually think that he added a, a lot more um of them than i anticipated at least you know i thought it was going to kind of give a brief history of arvin's childhood but it, it spends a good amount of time uh you know with with bill scars guard and 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 all that before we even see tom holland which i think people are probably surprised by as well they're normally used to a you know 15 minute first act not one that takes up 45 minutes or something like that to get their their main character fully grown on screen so yeah Uh, i what did you think of tom holland because i know a lot of people are kind of in this mode of like only used to him as spider-man so they're kind of surprised by him being able to do more than that
0: I don't know why they're shocked. It's not like he hasn't been around doing other work for right. ages. So um, just look up his work in any of the many other projects he's been a part of. But yeah,
1: and and I I think he's great in it. And he is. I mean, he's he the thing is he looks like a teenager, but he's really not. He's in his twenties, and he's yeah. a professional actor. Like he's yeah. a good actor. He knows what he's doing. He's not just this kid. So I think people being wowed by him almost undersells his talent i do think he's very good in the movie and it is a dynamic shift if you've only seen him in spider-man before you know he's definitely playing a a different character and um i think he sells those moments of violence really well and um so i i I thought he was impressive in it but I, i think that the people go you know go I overjoyed know. by his performance are almost under patronizing ability. even yeah, yeah. Right.
0: like i it it upsets me a little when really fantastic actors are known for only their roles in the MCU and you know they're always assumed to be, you know, just under a rock until they're in the MCU. And then clearly they have done nothing else with their lives. And oh my gosh, they can do something else.
1: Yeah, it seems like pretty much because I mean, almost any actor working nowadays has touched the MCU. So it's, it's yeah. almost as a film in general is just going to continue to live in the shadow of of how it relates to the mcu at this point but oh my gosh it, it, the entire cast i thought was was great across the board and they it's were. just such a sensational cast like and and i think that's also a downside for some people who say that it's too overstuffed with characters is that they're maybe used to the fact that oh if you've got you know Mia Wasikowska in a movie, you're going to get
0: a you're going to get Mia a lot of Mia Wasikowska, but exactly then she gets it in the neck. And oh, right. hey, this isn't a Mia Wasikowska film, I guess.
1: Right? Or Riley Keough? They're used yeah. to her leading projects or being a, a major supporting character, not right. someone who pops up every once in a while. So right. I think I think it does a great work with its ensemble cast without necessarily being like, oh, here's the showstopper. Except for, of course, Robert Pattinson. Who you know, <laughs> go, but goes I have over to the-
0: say, I love the way Tom Holland plays that final showdown scene with R. Pat. I think yeah. that sequence works yeah. so very well between those two actors.
1: Yeah, yeah that that scene I thought was extremely tense, um, and I think it it really nails those moments of tension um which in the book are just like you you have no clue what's going to happen it's also just as tense and so watching it even knowing what was going to happen and the fact that i still found it you know extremely packed with tension it, s- it says a ton you know um and and i think he he does a great job of not robbing you of those moments of surprise mm-hmm. uh except for Mia Wasikowska's death. Who I thought in the book, I you literally have no clue what's going to happen. They're they're driving her out. You're like, what is going on? And then it comes out of nowhere, and it's just a shock to your system. I had to put the book down. I was just like, I don't even know what just happened. But in the in the movie, it plays with the structure a bit, so you know, at least from my memory of seeing it, I that. That she dies. By the time she dies, you know exactly what's about to happen, which is.
0: But it still made me gasp the beat when it happened, because it was so shocking the way that it happens.
1: Right. And I, I think it's it's a good I think it's a really great story about, you know, I wanted to get into the thematic work with you because I know you know, especially having just listened to that interview, that you're 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 very interested by by what this film does with its uh, thematic work. What 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 did you come away with? Um, because I, I've even seen people walking away with different, almost interpretations of what it's trying to say, or or the fact that it's not trying to say enough, or that yeah. it's not commenting on its violence. What what did you walk away?
0: Yeah, so I walked away from it really taking away that the film and the book are probably interrogating a lot people's belief in pretty much anything. Like the concept of believing in your parents as good people, the concept of believing in your institutions as good things to follow even your own sense of belief. Like you get the serial killer, uh, Carl, who, you know, says the closest he feels to God is when he's killing people. You know, you see characters like Roy Lafferty, again, killing his wife to resurrect her as a part of his belief system. And you see, you know, obviously lots of corrupt characters taking advantage of, other people's belief. But the question is, do I really think that the connection between faith and violence that Donald Ray Pollock was talking about is something that he wants us to believe is inherent in the soul of America? Like on some level, I feel like that was where he was headed with this that he was creating sort of a Southern Gothic... Campos actually described this movie as being a Southern Gothic hard-boiled crime thriller. He said that what appealed to him most about the film was this combination of generational trauma through faith and violence. And I think with it being written in 2011 right at the time when a lot of the scandals about the Catholic church and other churches coming to the forefront, there was a huge breaking of faith among the American people with their religious institutions. I think the film and the book consuming it today, probably has a completely different meaning and a completely different echo because the script was written in 2015 and thinking about faith and violence and how faith is used in institutions as a means of oppression is a whole other topic that I think might be a part of this conversation, but I don't know, what do you think? No, I,
1: I I agree. And I think that's a really interesting interpretation. I tend to, I tend to, you know, look at things in more broad strokes, but, um, but, you know, to my fault, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting interpretation. And I'm wondering if the film, I, I think some people may be looking for more re, like resonance and relevance to what we're going through today not necessarily today with the pandemic and everything but to to where america is at today and maybe the fact that they're not getting that they see the film as you know empty provocation or or really hollow because it's not commenting on on where the world's at today do you think that that is something that he could have incorporated into the film do you think that maybe that would have helped have it more broad appeal by trying to to weave in some some resonance with with what america looks like today
0: I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer to that question, Kern. I didn't expect you to come on my podcast and ask me so many tough questions.
1: (laughs) I'm interested in your perspective. (laughs) No,
0: I know. I know. Um, I feel like, I feel like if he had, when they did the actual shooting schedule, fitting the script to the timing Of today, which I mean, who could have done that? Like, seriously. I mean, no one could have predicted the pandemic, and, you know, no filming has really taken place much since the pandemic started and so forth. But, you know, since this script was written in the pre Trump election era, when populism was just starting to become a part of the political conversation on a global scale. I feel like he probably would have shaped the narrative differently. He probably would have made Bodecker Decker a much more sinister character and much less bumbling yeah, than he I is in the film. And he probably would have stayed peripheral and dangerous. I really think that he, he would have stayed that way. Knowing that this film had... I mean, a 40-something day shoot for a film of this length, I mean, that's a very, very quick shoot. Um, When you're dealing with a cast this large, you all have very finite schedules. Uh, The opportunity for rewrites really isn't there. But like I said, I I think keeping Bodecker a little bit more shadowy, keeping the mafia characters a little less comical, keeping the violence a little more shocking, I think might have been more appealing to me in this moment.
1: Right. And I, I actually think you're getting at a good point with the Bo Decker character that he's almost in this gray area that doesn't, for me at least doesn't quite work where I almost want him either more sidelined. So I don't really understand him at all. Like Mm -hmm. I don't understand his motivations or what, what makes him tick or I want him more developed because he's almost like somewhat developed, but not to the point that it really adds any significance to his character or or does any favors for his character. So it's almost in this, like, gray area where I'm, I'm like, either do more with him or do less with him. (laughs) Yeah. You don't necessarily need those scenes uh, to kind of develop his character if you're going to kind of turn him into this bumbling fool. Um, so I, I do think that that's interesting that he could have maybe that that would probably be the route to incorporate uh, some of, you know, what's going on in America today in the film. Um but, yeah, I was just wondering, you know, because I, I wasn't sure with everyone saying that they think it's hollow and doesn't have any any kind of message. I, I don't necessarily gather that, although I, I don't necessarily go into movies like this looking for a message or to, like, be, you know, I, I don't want any didacticism in, in a movie like this. But I, I was wondering if, you know, maybe maybe there's something more he could have done to incorporate thematic work and make it more prominent for 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 a broader audience or, or something like that
0: what about uh my comment about making the violence a little punchier and more shocking like is that something that you wish had happened in this or not
1: i i would i wouldn't necessarily mind it although i don't necessarily need it it's more i think it's because i come from the book uh, the perspective of having read the book where i'm like if you say oh yeah i'd like it a little bit more violent i'm thinking back to like the violence in the book and i'm like i don't think i need to see all that i think maybe i just it-
0: mean what they did include making yeah. those specific shots hit home a little harder that's all. a little bit more not yeah. mia Vasakovska getting it in the neck i think that's right that's that's where it should be
1: yeah i think the book lingers a lot more where the movie kind of just shows you brief flashes um which which i think is effective but i i could definitely see that it you know having having a bit more um it would be a little bit more impactful if it if it showed a little bit more violence but i do think uh you know, I think that would turn even more people yeah, off. So I don't it know would. if that would help the broader. Although I heard, so. I
0: heard a review. I, I I read the review in the New York Post from a reviewer who said that uh, this this movie had more meaning than a Quentin Tarantino film, but less violence. But it had no point of view. And what does that even mean? Like, what does that even mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't quite make heads or tails of that. I, 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 and I've seen people complain about the point of view that it shifts and whatnot, but and movies, movies do that. And like, I, I, I don't understand that, that complaint necessarily. And I think that the point of view is of you of the audience watching, it's, it's, it's a movie about this town. And it mm-hmm. sets that up perfectly from the very beginning. You know, yeah. it's 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 painting a picture of this town. It's an atmosphere mm-hmm. um, of dread. You know,
0: so and that you is... feel that in the cinematography. I mean, I think I think the lighting is pretty consistent with you know sort of these dull greys and blues that are consistently in the shot. Um, I I don't I don't know how you felt about that but I felt like there was a pretty consistent visual language between the design the cinematography the wardrobe
1: Yeah I I really liked the I liked the wardrobe choices and the set design a lot. I was a little uh tepid on the cinematography It's not right, exactly exactly. Yeah. I, I I was I was coming to it wanting something more dynamic uh like campus's earlier work uh but i uh but yeah so generally i wasn't i wasn't wowed by the cinematography necessarily but i would say it's consistent and that's the biggest thing for me is i think that the film is consistent as as a whole and um and that was uh somewhat of a surprise for me because i was kind of worried at first that it was going to be almost too sanitized, like I said. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, and- I was kind of surprised at how consistent it felt in spite of the fact that it was switching between completely different stories right. and, you know, completely different kinds of performances where you have these comic moments and then you have these romantic moments and then you have these horrific moments. and
1: Right. And, I, I think, you know, they, they do a good job establishing uh, a consistent atmosphere and tone. And even though there are some tender moments here and there, it doesn't feel completely out of place, you know, juxtaposed with this brutal violence. Um, I was wondering, did you have any like major complaints or is there something that you were, were kind of tepid on? Is, is it Robert Pattinson?
0: Robert Pattinson is a little too hammy for me throughout. Sure. I, think, I think you're right in that when he comes in, he is clearly, like that scene where he comes in, where he's introducing himself to the parishioners and to the audience, it makes sense for him to be very hammy right. and to transition to the next thing. But, he shouldn't keep it up for the whole damn movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I really had a hard time with that. I also have to say I really wish that some of those scenes between Pattinson and Lenora were just ellipses where okay. they didn't actually include them. I think mm-hmm. it's 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 perfectly well implied by right the confrontation scene at the end, what the conversations have been all along. You don't yeah. have to show that.
1: Right. I could I could actually see that being pretty effective with Arvin, you know, during his his like stakeout where he sees him with the other girl. Yeah. You know also having basically the audience at that point piece together oh he's also exactly we're now seeing the other side of it and this is what he's been doing
0: and from a screenwriting perspective i think that would have been much much more effective
1: sure maybe maybe a casualty of him trying to remain too faithful to the novel again maybe um and with pattinson and i i i maybe give this uh too much for performances, (laughs) but I saw it almost as like Pattinson giving a performance and also the character giving this performance. Not only, not only just in when the church is in session, but he's always on, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this Mm -hmm. is his face. This is his, you know, he's always presenting this way. Probably even when he's by himself, he's lying to himself that this is who he is. You know, I, I think he's a guy who, even lies so much he believes his own lies um except in that final person.
0: confrontation scene
1: right exactly when yeah. he finally turns it off you know but but and i'd actually now that i'm thinking about it i'd be interested to go back to that scene and maybe see if he kind of does turn the turn the ham down a little bit in that moment it, that that would be the place to do it essentially is to kind of drop that facade yeah. a little bit and mm-hmm maybe maybe that didn't come through.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the other the other pieces that didn't quite work for me, I think were mostly related to well, so this is this is not the fault of the film. This is probably related to the source material, but I wanted more of the stories of the women as a okay. whole. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I wanted more of Haley Bennett And her experience. I wanted more of um, Mia Vostokovska's experience. I wanted more of the grandmother's experience. I wanted some sense of who she was as a character because she's talked about a lot, but you get maybe, you know, two minutes screen time with her total where she gets to talk. But um, those are things, though, that. you know, are a larger conversation about film in general, about sure. books in general, but. Um... Yeah.
1: And I, I, I honestly think the movie does almost a, 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 not a better, I mean, it doesn't do a great job of it, but it does an almost better job of giving the female characters, or at least to my mind, um, Haley Bennett, uh, moments to herself and like moments to shine that the novel doesn't the novel is always seen through the eyes of this omniscient observer who's uh, always in the heads of the men who are just always horrific people you know it's just always horrifying people who always have terrible motives and they're you know they're they're, or, or if they don't initially they eventually do um so I think the movie does a little bit with that, but I, I agree that there that there definitely could have been more moments there. Um and I I do think that that maybe the direction and the, the fact of incorporating such good actors in those parts. Almost the, the pining for more of them, especially since so many characters die. Like you said, mm-hmm. you, you really liked the old Skarsgård and wanted to see more of them. I think that's almost intentional, having, having such a oh, yeah. stacked cast for this. Uh, For character, you know, for very small parts, characters that get very little screen time. It's like, oh, I wish I could have seen more of them. But, you know, of course they died. And that's this world is that like these characters just die on a whim. You know, it's Mm -hmm. practically Game of Thrones out here. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Game of Thrones, Southern Gothic style.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: I like that. I like that. That should be their new subtitle, right?
1: Yeah. Well, they're, they're planning a sequel. I think that's the. Oh yeah. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the sequel. <laughs> I like it.
1: I thought it was really well done and. You know, it's a light, enjoyable watch. <laughs> no, I'm just
0: it's <laughs> just a romp, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. It, I, I, I enjoyed it. I don't know that I have any intention of revisiting it, especially anytime soon, you know, I think the book is just uh, a more comprehensive uh, version of it. So I'll just, if I ever need to go back to it, I'll probably just revisit the book, but it it was a well done adaptation that could have been great in my mind. Mm
0: -hmm. That's a pretty good summation, I would say, but I want to know, you are a huge movie lover. We, first met bonding over the theatrical movie experience i want to know what you're doing for your theatrical movie experiences these days
1: i am not doing much honestly <laughs> i i actually for a while i was you know just ramping up how much how many movies i was i was watching at home you know trying to get, you know, on, on my cheat meal days, get some popcorn and act like I'm in the theater, you know, a
0: diet soda, <laughs>
1: popcorn, a little bit of candy. I actually literally bought like cookie dough bites from, uh, from the store. Cause I was like, I want to act like I'm, I'm, you know, going to the back to the theater. Um, but now I've been, I've been avoiding the theater for, for, you know, since it started and, and it sucks. I, I've definitely missed that experience, but I, I have enough to watch at home. I'm almost overloaded with recommendations and and you know stuff to stream that I'm. Uh, I almost have like, uh, option paralysis where I'm just like, I've got too many options. I'm not going to watch anything. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I definitely miss those days in the film club days of, of being able to chat with people about what you've just seen. That's, that's almost the bigger thing that I miss is like, there's nothing, you know, there's very few movies playing in theaters at all, but when there was nothing playing, it was like, wh- what is everyone talking about? Everyone's just talking about the same older movies that are already get enough talk. You know, there's nothing new to spark real in- interesting, intriguing conversation. Um, so I don't know. What, what about you?
0: I mean, for me, I went to the drive-in not too long ago to see Tenet, uh, which I can't really recommend as a film, but going to the (laughs) drive-in was super fun. Um, I also went to the drive-in a few weeks before that to see really bad seventies films, uh, about Dracula and Frankenstein that I thought were hammer films, but they were not. They were just really bad. <laughs>
1: there you go. Was it at least a, a good time? I've never. Oh, it was it
0: a before. great time. It was a great time. I love the drive-in experience. It is so much fun. Um, if you haven't tried it, it is well worth your time. Because
1: I, I've been, I've been considering it, and there's um there's actually a movie playing tonight that I was considering go, going to see um, called Alone. This new like horror thriller. But the the only other, th- this drive-in theater, they never played Tenet, which I, I thought was kind of, I found it maddening because I'm really, I really want to see it. But no, I wasn't, I wasn't too upset, but um, they, they don't play so many newer movies. They play older movies. Like right now they're doing the Harry Potter movies. And I just, I have no yeah. interest yeah. in watching a double feature of the fifth and sixth entry, <laughs> like the most forgettable <laughs> ones, you know? So but that's that's good to know. Yeah, I, I may I may have to get out to to a drive-in. That's, you do what you do. That's good to know. Do you have a lot of uh, options?
0: Not a ton of options, but they are doing um, some new releases every weekend. Uh, during the week, they're doing retrospective options like Clue, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, things like that.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, Not Harry Potter.
0: Not Harry Potter. No, no.
1: (laughs) The, uh, the other thing that I think is really cool is, and it just started, uh, last night was, well, I don't know when this is releasing, but New York film festival is doing their entire festival online through virtual Mm -hmm. screenings. Mm -hmm. So I got some tickets for, um, to see some movies there, and I'm going to be probably doing some coverage for some reviews for movies that are playing there on CinematecaDotCom, but um, I really think that that's neat and it's awesome, and the tickets are actually really cheap. I yeah,
0: th- no, it's wonderful, and like I've noticed that there are lots of other film festivals that are going to the same model. Like I recently mm-hmm. just did the Skyline Indie Film Festival and watched a lot of really great documentaries and short films on there. So just this morning, I signed up for the Miskatonic Institute Horror Film Festival in London. Um, It's a queer horror film festival that they are doing over the weekend of Halloween. And I'm super excited about it because it's open to anyone around the world. And then there's, other ones like Fantastic Fest is now free and online for everyone. And I think that's amazing too. So a lot of people are going to have opportunities to see a lot of great content that they might not have otherwise had access to.
1: Totally. Yeah. It's, it's really fantastic how it kind of makes the festival experience accessible to uh, a totally broad audience and at a pretty decent price. Like the um opening night uh film uh for New York Film Festival yesterday that I watched, Lovers Rock, the new Steve McQueen. Um Ooh. It's like part of his anthology series that's coming out on uh, Amazon. It was $25 for the opening night film compared to last year when I went in person, I didn't go to the opening night film because it was the Irishman and it was $120 for any screening of the Irishman. So yeah, the costs are, are way, way different from in person. And obviously you don't get the same experience, you know, seeing uh, people involved in the film or, being with an audience but uh but it is it is nice to see that it's that it's accessible and that people can people who are are missing the theatrical or festival experience can kind of um you know emulate it in a in a different way at home so i've i've been taking to that that model of uh of of you know transferring my theatrical experience to home
0: Now I have a a controversial question for you.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Okay. So, so there are lots of directors that I've been hearing, you know, commentary from recently on whether, which side of the fence they fall on, whether they enjoy this democratization of content that's happening during the pandemic, where they're hoping that the Hollywood system is going to die. Uh, just under the massive weight of itself as the pandemic is going to kill off theaters and everything about the system is just going to fester. And then there are the people who are trying to keep everything alive within the system as much as they possibly can and try to replicate the original experience of the movies in every possible way you know, by trying to, you know, keep individual movie theaters alive through virtual screenings, through individual virtual cinemas to support movie theaters. There are lots of movie theaters doing all kinds of different support structures and so forth. And there are lots of filmmakers who are trying to support that narrative, but at the same time, there are lots of filmmakers on the other side. I want to know which side Kern comes down on.
1: Uh, well, as always, I'm going to ride the fence where... What? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I am of two minds pretty much on, on any thought process that comes related to the pandemic where, uh, you know, there's a side of me who wants a return to normalcy, but then there's this other side of me who's like, well, what, what is that, that sense of normalcy? Like, does that, that probably does need to be upended. And the only way to do that is through deconstruction. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm not a huge, necessarily a huge fan of, of the Hollywood system, but I, I do. And I do miss um But at the same time, I do miss going to see big movies in the theater. Like I, I miss, you know, I I think back to like, as much as I, as I'm not a like huge Marvel fan or anything, I still love seeing those movies on like opening night with crowds. Even if I'm rolling my eyes at all the cheering and I find it, you know, obnoxious, like I still enjoy that experience. Um, so,
0: or watching Madeline's Madeline in the big theater with the, you know, oh my gosh,
1: yeah, I. So that's actually really funny because I I love that movie. I saw it three times in theaters. Uh, but that audience that I saw it with you, I was sitting right next to someone who despised it from start <laughs> to finish. I remember. I could, I could feel her energy. And I, I had already loved it at that point. So I was so, I was like, I'm going to love it again. But the whole time, I just like felt this immense energy to <laughs> of like just revulsion at what was happening so it, it was uh it was an interesting experience
0: and i came out of that movie theater in a state of absolute ecstasy like I, just... yeah
1: that i feel like that one really divided the audience that oh
0: experience. yeah oh yeah
1: and i like i like those experiences you know the the thing i don't miss is people being on their phone and talking and texting and
0: yeah yeah
1: Ah, drives me insane always. So that that's the reason that I've avoided the theaters. You know, even with the promise of you know I'll oh, be clean in between, and I, I just don't I don't trust people. I can't trust a, a half crowd of of people to stay off their phones. So I definitely don't trust them to like be conscious and and you know considerate of my safety. I just uh, it's not it's not worth it for me at this point. So. I think the driving is going to be the way the way I go for for at least mm. the time being. Or I'll try it out and see how it goes.
0: Okay, okay. But getting back to the original point, you yeah, are an sorry. anarchist, anarchist Kern.
1: <laughs> yeah, burn, I guess, baby, burn. Yeah, yeah. I would. You know, I feel like it's just an inevitable, right? Yeah. With the, with the trend that it's going at now, I think it's inevitable. What about you?
0: I. Kind of feel like it's unfortunately inevitable. I say unfortunately because I know a lot of people within the system who are going to face a lot of hardship and a lot of difficulty uh, working through all of this. But I think the arts of any kind, and this goes for theater, this goes for film, this goes for visual arts, this goes for, you know, really any kind of creative content. The way that we think about content, artistic creators, and audience going forward is going to have to change. I mean, I I don't think it's sustainable to keep pumping out more and more channels of things that people have to subscribe to. I don't think that's a sustainable model. I don't think it's a sustainable model to have the Hollywood system pushing indie filmmakers to the fringes as has happened for so long. And now that you know something like the pandemic has come along, which makes it cost prohibitive for almost everyone except the people working on the fringes to really do what they want to do, um, in a very small creative scale, I think it's going to create a space where everybody has to think completely differently about everything going forward. It
1: definitely levels the playing field, which I've always, you know, which I think, I think is somewhat of a good thing. Um, but like you said, there is, you know, collateral damage essentially. and, And it's never a good thing to, to, you know, to, You know, it's, it's tough to say, but there's, there's people in the industry, you know what I mean? The industry Mm -hmm. is made up of people and you, and you never want to, you know, root for people to get, get hurt along the way. But at some point an industry does need to somewhat collapse in order to level that playing field when it's something artistic. I think I, I I'm not, I've never been into the melding of arts and arts and business. I think that business tends to corrupt uh. arts, and uh, so I don't know. That's a really cliche thing to say, though. <laughs> I, I, regardless for me, I think it's going to be fascinating to see where things go, um, and that's that's really where I, I just want to learn. I want to understand where things are going to go. I'm interested to see what comes next. I, I, I'm really intrigued by it. I would like to see, I, I would, I would feel comfortable going to a theater if I could rent it out for myself. And unfortunately there's nothing within, you know, a six hour radius <laughs> where I can do that. Really? Currently it, it's, it's so far. It's so far. Cause Drive-thru you can do that in
0: Northern Virginia. Driving. So yeah, really? Yeah, really. You can you can rent the drive-in you can rent the theaters
1: oh man yeah I, I would do that I would do that as like a special treat to myself you know show yeah show some movie that I've been wanting to see or some old classic and i I would like to I would think that theaters could or even should start doing that as like their current business model since obviously mm-hmm. tenant didn't boost confidence for studios to drop other major releases, you know, for mm-hmm. the rest of the year. Um, so I, I, I'm interested to see what happens with theaters. Theaters is, is, I think the, the real heartbreaking collateral damage in this yeah. because I, I yeah. ha- we, we have those theaters that we hold dear
0: yeah. um,
1: and to see them struggling and it, it, it really hurts. So I have been supporting them with the the virtual screenings, um you know theaters from new york film festival the lincoln center and then afi silver alamo you know there's there's all sorts of theater local theaters that do virtual cinemas so don't rent movies on amcs yeah please,
0: please 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 <laughs> don't please support local independent theater. local theaters
1: <laughs> exactly exactly that's my chief takeaway
0: yeah no Cause I've I, got a
1: I've got a question for you. It's uh, somewhat of a pivot, though. Oh, now I want to know what your favorite movie of the year so far is.
0: Uh oh, I gotta look at Letterboxd now.
1: <laughs> you gotta okay. pull up your list.
0: All right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm that lame a person. I just no. I mean, I it just means you've probably seen head. a lot of movies. I well, I can never keep it in my head, and I can never remember what's technically this year. True. Either. In the documentary category, I would say The Social Dilemma, also okay. a Netflix film. Highly That's a recommended. One, right? Yep, brand new. Dropped a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, ooh, ooh, no, there's another documentary that I liked better In My Blood It Runs, which is about a young Indigenous boy from Australia. And, and just his experiences at school. It, it deals with a lot of the post-colonial fallout uh, okay. in Australia, and that is pretty fantastic in my That's opinion. It's interesting.
1: That title, I actually remember that title somewhere. It may have actually played the Melbourne Film Festival last year that I was at, and I just can't remember where i recognize that title but that that's probably it so
0: it's pretty interesting i'll have to
1: check that one out is that available on streaming
0: it is available on streaming uh through independent cinemas so you just have to find the right independent cinema and they should have it there's a pseudo documentary i call it a pseudo documentary because you don't know how much of it is real and how much of it is fiction
1: i think i know which one you're gonna say
0: the painter and the thief.
1: Oh no! You went with a different one. Interesting.
0: Oh, okay. What were you gonna say?
1: Uh, bloody nose, empty pockets.
0: Oh yeah, 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 right. yeah. I mean, I yeah, you go in thinking that one is a documentary, exactly. and it's not. But you know, it's it's not the same. What
1: a, what a year for documentaries! It's ironic. My favorite film of the year so far is uh, Boys State. Have you seen that one? I
0: still haven't. I saw that you loved that film, and I really did. I really, did. I really took it.
1: to it. It's a it's a brutal watch. It's a hard watch. It's about young Republicans. It's, mm. whew, but it, it's really really good and offers a, a glimmer of hope. It's almost like the devil all the time in a way, <laughs> in a documentary form and Very modern. Cool.
0: Very cool. <laughs> And then there's um, a film from Iceland called A White, White Day.
1: Oh, I've been meaning to catch up with that one.
0: I loved that film. I thought it was fantastic. I watched it through the Alamo uh, streaming, it was great. I highly recommend that. Oh, and another great documentary, The Hottest August. That was incredible. That was incredible. I've seen so many incredible documentaries this year. I'm
1: telling you, it's the year for documentaries. It There's seriously so is. Ones. I'm oh gonna have gosh. to check out that social dilemma, though. I, I, I that's the that.
0: easiest one to, to check out.
1: For yeah, because sure. it's uh, it's on Netflix, right?
0: Right, right, right. Pedro Costa's Vitalina Varela.
1: It's another one I've I've had on my radar.
0: It's fantastic. It, it's just so beautiful. It's, right. it's a gorgeous, gorgeous film. I, I love his aesthetic. I I can't say enough great things about how he crafts his images. The, the Probably my favorite thing that I saw in the theaters before they closed was Beanpole.
1: Oh, you, you caught that in a theater? I'm, I'm I did. Jealous.
0: I did. It was at Cinema Arts. And I saw it in the theater, and that was a phenomenal theatrical experience.
1: That's awesome.
0: I watched it again on, on you know, the Alamo streaming at home. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing like seeing it in a theater for that yeah. particular one. It hits you so hard.
1: See, now you're making the case for uh, <laughs> the I know, theaters. I know.
0: I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. How about you?
1: So Boys State is my number one of the year so far. Um, and then after that is, uh, I'm thinking of ending things, which I was so like torn about. I I just, it's one of those movies and I, I really hate it when people are like, oh, I don't know what I thought of it. So that must mean I loved it. But I I had... I, I walked away so bewildered by it and, but it really did stick with me. And then I read the book a couple of days after and things started clicking and um, I haven't revisited it since I'm almost nervous too, because I don't know what I'm going to make of it, but it's, I can't deny that it it's lingered with me for, you know, however many weeks it's been out a couple of weeks now. Um and I, I really find it maddening and like intoxicating at the same time. So that, that combination I'll, I'll take over over most things nowadays. But those two are, are the major two that I've been wowed by. I also really loved uh, 14, which I saw at a film festival last year, but got released uh, this year. And I'm hoping that comes to streaming soon. It uh, it because... it
0: has for the Alamo.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I, I want to give it a second look. Um, I think the acting in it is just spectacular. Um, so I definitely want to check that one out, but those, those three are, I think are, are my, my top three for the moment, but I'm sure that'll be toppled by the end of the year because, uh, you know, there's just so much festival stuff coming out and, Netflix has got a couple more releasing soon. So there's a, there's a, a decent amount to look forward to on the schedule.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. The only, the only one I've seen of yours is 14 so far. I'm thinking of ending things is on the top of my list for this upcoming week. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: I'm actually kind of upset. I waited. See, I did the reverse de- uh, devil all the time for that. As I, I waited to read the book because a friend of mine actually recommended. He was like, "I read the book. I would wait. You know, I, I, I think it, it'd be fascinating to go in blind and, and see, you know, what Kaufman does with it." So I took his advice, and I'm almost regretting it because I think it benefits so much from walking in with a general str- like outline of the structure of the story. Because Kaufman, he basically just takes the story and populates it with his own mind, you know, um, and really makes it his own thing, but I think it really does benefit of having, you know, from having an understanding of what the actual story of the novel is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would be interested to see what you what you make of that one. Are you a generally a, a pretty big Coffin fan?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm a huge Coffin yeah, fan, generally. Here. So... I was always like the lone person in my high school, like deeply in love with his films, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I made my mom take me to see adaptation when I was like, 14 or something like that mm-hmm. whenever it came out yeah so I was I was a huge fan at that point and I'm such a hu- huge fan I read his 700 page sprawling novel earlier this year and I mm-hmm. loved it you know mm-hmm. I just I, I can't get enough of that guy so
0: well thank you so much for sharing your list of your favorites of the year do you have any it's
1: a short list <laughs>
0: predictions of what might be favorites to come
1: So everyone's been overjoyed by Nomadland at Uh TIFF. Uh So I have a ticket to see that for New York Film Festival. I'm hoping that, you know, I get a lot out of that. I loved uh, her last movie, The Rider. I thought it was fantastic. Uh Uh Um, So... Yeah, maybe that, I don't know. I mean, there's just so much. I'm such a huge Fincher fan, so I cannot wait for Mank. And I'm really hoping that it actually comes out this year, but time will tell. Um, But honestly, my favorites of the year tend to end up being movies that aren't on my radar at all. Like, Boys State right now, I had no idea about it, you know, a week before I decided to watch it. And, you know, I, I figured looking at the slate that I'm thinking of ending things would end up being my favorite film of the year and it's already second place behind something else so yeah I I'm I'm more open to you know the the stragglers that I really didn't see coming that end up wowing me and then I end up you know trying to convert all my friends to <laughs> to watch it so What about you? Is there anything upcoming that you're like really looking forward to? Well,
0: Nomadland is one of them. Um, There is a film with Mads Mikkelsen from the director of The Hunt. I think it's called mm -hmm. Another Round that looks Mm -hmm. phenomenal. But I want to say thank you so much, Kern, for coming on and sharing your insights about this film, the book, the year in film that has been so far in its wacky and woolly wonder. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much for coming on.
1: No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was it was awesome chatting with you.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you check out Kern's website, com, for all the latest movie reviews, analysis, and festival coverage. And remember that you can always find us at Omnibus Ride on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please, please, please rate and review us on whatever platform you happen to find us. We would really, really appreciate it. Be well, be safe. Take care.